and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. How I wish I had a new intro sometimes. Very excited to be here today to talk to our guest. Our guest is calling in from London. He is the CEO of Ringer. Before we introduce him and ask him how he is, I want to make sure you know who the other hosts are. I'm, of course, Richard Litauer. Hello, everyone. That's me, but with a weirder voice. And on the other side of the mic, we have Justin Dorfman as well. Justin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Richard. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Very happy to be alive. And I think Simon Minton is as well. That's right. Our guest is Simon Minton, CEO of Ringer, calling from London, which I've already said. But what I don't know already is, Simon, how are you doing today? Richard, I'm really, really well. Thank you. We're jumping between prime ministers at the moment, but that's oh God. Be what we do here. That is crazy. Oh. This morning, you guys go through prime ministers like we go through, I don't know, fill in punchline, Richard. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. America is just so awful. I can't even... <laughs> I, Hey, did you hear about the live stream of the lettuce head that they did where they said this lettuce head will outlast the prime minister and they're still shooting it and it's still outliving the prime minister? Have you heard about this? That's amazing. Can you, can you imagine the newsroom that put that together? Seven or eight days ago, they decided to have lettuce next to the prime minister and yeah, the lettuce is one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be promotion for sure. <laughs> so talk about an unsustainable political model. But hey, let's talk about a sustainable political model instead. So what's exciting is Ringer. Ringer is a new company that has a new way of dealing with open source sustainability and open source projects. Simon, why don't you give us the uh, 10 second to two minute spiel about what this is? So Ringer sort of was born of uh, years of working with open source and working with open source maintainers and contributors and seeing the best thing that we could do within our company, which was not at all to do with open source, but used and relied on open source projects heavily, was to ask for advice when we had problems. We would consistently go out to contributors and maintainers whenever we hit a bug and ask them how to solve whatever problem we were having. In sort of April, May of this year, I decided to sit down and turn that into a real product. By way of a little history, my plan was never really to get into tech. My background was financial and I joined the tech industry in 2008 following a relatively catastrophic recession. I had to relearn everything. I had not planned to be in tech. So I learned by looking at open source projects. I learned via the free code camps of the world at that time and fell into the tech industry that way. So open source has always been something incredibly important to me from that beginning. Because in no other industry does this open sharing of knowledge exist. One of the things we learned in the various startups I worked for and then came to run the tech teams off was that when we spoke to maintainers and spoke to contributors, they were willing to provide knowledge, but they didn't necessarily know how to ask for payment or didn't have the infrastructure to take those payments. It might be sending something via PayPal. Lastly, it became sort of putting in a GitHub sponsor that many of the GitHub sponsored one-off payment, which many of the administrators in my company weren't comfortable with because it wasn't really a donation. It was a payment for services rendered. So what I was looking to do with Ringer was provide all of the tools that a maintainer or contributor would need to deliver their expertise to a company that requires it. And that could be training, it could be consultancy, or it could be something that I've seen increasingly on the platform, architectural help, just in making decisions about what 
projects to use and how to integrate that into your existing infrastructure. So Ringer is a platform which allows an expert to put up a profile, attach it to any repositories that they contribute to or maintain. And we check that via the graph on GitHub at the moment and provide a link really easily to customers. How many people do you have using the platform? We've got 442 as of this morning. Those are experts and those have all registered since the beginning of August. What we're sort of middle of October now. So I'm pretty happy. We've got over 3,000 projects represented by experts and something in the range of 1.2 million projects that are linked to people. You suddenly realize how many repositories there are in the world. So this isn't the first time we've seen stuff like this. We had things like hackhands back in the day. So there's a lot of companies that have come and gone, which were sort of trying to monetize the expertise of open source projects. I have a lot of questions. Let's start with how is Ringer different? Our approach is based on the individual model rather than the project model itself. So a lot of previous attempts in this space have been focused on whatever the repository is or the larger organization. We sort of recognize that A, you might have expertise that is from previous work on a project, or you might have a project that doesn't want to be involved because it's perhaps backed by a large company with one of these platforms. But you do have maintainers or contributors that have extensive and significant knowledge. That's the initial difference. The secondary difference is that we're taking quite a OSPO or enterprise first approach to this. Yes, there is the self-service platform, but the major hurdle that we've heard from our users and from our customers is that getting an individual expert into a large company to provide a day's worth of training is incredibly hard. It can take three months, six months to get through the procurement process, contracts that an individual just isn't set up to be able to comply with. And so our focus is working with OSPOs, working with enterprise to become their vendors through which they can hire any of these individuals, removing all of the administrative burden from the individuals themselves and hopefully making the process of getting paid a lot easier to say to an individual that they won't be able to be paid for 60, 90, or 120 days is incredibly hard. We're looking to put in place mechanisms that will allow us to receive the credit terms, but allow us to pay the experts themselves in a much faster fashion. One of the other major differences is that we're set up to take card payments up front for a 30-minute consultation. Now, that 30 minutes is a significant knowledge-sharing event, which sounds like sort of gobbledygook, but if you think about any conversation that you've had with an expert, often the first 30 minutes is incredibly dense. It is an incredibly useful moment. A lot of consultants give that away for free, whereas we see that as something that should really be something that the experts can monetize. Now, because we take payment up front, that means that the user gets paid within three or four days for that 30-minute engagement. If the customer or the expert sees fit to create a longer-term project, say a couple of days or even just a couple of hours, then they can transform that in the platform to a longer project and again, work on that same basis of a credit card payment up front. No questions over who's getting paid when, 
and delivery can be by the platform or via email. And we provide within the platform a screen sharing portal, which allows two people to work together simultaneously on code or share ideas or just have a simple video call. That's awesome. It's really interesting because you bring up the infrastructure and you know how it hasn't been there in the past. And now what I'm seeing, now that I'm in an OSPO and I mean, it doesn't matter, right? regardless whether I'm in the OSPO or not, what I'm seeing now is there are independent developers that are building their own infrastructure. So for instance, the developer behind CodeMirror, Marjan Haverbrick, I always screw up his name. He's going to kill me, but... Anyway, we pay him directly through his website, through his Stripe. And it's really, really fascinating. He's got a handful of sponsors, more than a handful of sponsors on his Code Mirror project. He's got a discussion forum. I guess my question for you is, besides a payment gateway, what other infrastructure and services are you providing for these maintainers? Because you know, you're competing with Stripe and Open Collective and all these other ways of getting paid. What other stuff do you bring to the table? So we don't necessarily look at it as a friendly point of view of competitive ways of getting paid. I know that when we were in Dublin, Richard, you were party to a conversation that I had with Mike Fix at Stripe, where we discussed the fact that in our view, it's sort of more about providing as many ways as possible to reward those contributors and those maintainers. Yes, there is a competitive nature to this because I ideally would like everybody to go through the Riga platform, but we certainly want to see more people getting paid within the space and look at more ways for this area to become more sustainable than it already is. In terms of the other services that we provide, we're putting together a dynamic contracts portal. We're in discussion with one of the major foundations to provide guidelines for contracts so that their projects can sit within a specific delivery contract. One of the important things for us is looking at the entire process of how do you market to a customer? How do you then make an agreement with that customer. What is the process for running the support ticket all the way through? How do you make sure that you have a record of everything that's being done? And yeah, payment is a major part of that. But we are quite open about the fact that we use Stripe Connect and love what Stripe enables us to do. But that's certainly not the be all and end all. One of the other major conversations that we've had with contributors is tax and making sure that tax is handled properly. If you as an individual want to sell services into many different countries around the world, you would need to set up tax registrations in each of those jurisdictions. If we can handle that on your behalf, that's great for us. And it makes sure that you're doing everything properly. And we are as well. From the US perspective, we provide by the Stripe Connect platform 1099s and all of the other documentation that's involved in providing delivery of digital services. And so if you think about it less from the payments perspective, it's a much more from the perspective of what administrative burden can I remove from you? If you tell me, I will try and remove it. And that's certainly how we've approached Ringer from the start. So there's definitely a need for some open source maintainers to fund themselves. And not every open source maintainer is good at business. And by business, I mean accounting, tax filing, figuring that stuff out, or marketing to Ospos, positioning themselves in the market in the way where they can figure out how to get large contracts to pay themselves. And so they don't, right? They end up taking jobs elsewhere and putting less time into their projects. And it's ultimately not great. But I have a few other questions that 
existentially about Ringer and how this works. One of them is what's stopping me from being a consultant on a project where I'm not an expert and I'm not a maintainer, but well, I am an expert on the project maybe, but I'm not one of the core team or something, right? I could come in and say, I'm an expert on this project. You should hire me, but then I don't have to get back to that project at all. That seems parasitic in a way. I know that's a tough term, but it's important because I want to make sure that money goes to the projects as they are as well and to all the people in the projects, not just the main maintainers who have all the context in their heads. So what does Ringer do to alleviate that? How does it make sure that the money doesn't just flow to the people on the top of the projects, but also to the project as a whole? It's a great question. And it's something that we considered from day one. Giving back to projects is the most important part of this for me. We add 15% to all transactions. We are incredibly clear about that. We take 10% and out of that 10%, we also handle the payment fees and other fees that are included. But we also take 5% to make up the 15% to hand straight back to the project. We will put that into Open Collective. We will put that into sponsorships. Wherever we can provide money back to the project itself, we're trying to avoid that sort of parasitic choice of, yes, I've provided 50 contributions to the project, but then I'm just using those contributions to enable me to appear as an expert on Ringer, but not giving anything else back to the project. So for me, including that 5%, make sure that we were saying to the project, okay, we've earned because you exist. Here's not a small gesture, hopefully, to say thank you for existing and for enabling this person to provide consultancy and enabling us to turn Ringer into something larger than it already is. That's the number one way that we address that. One of the other notes that I should make is that you can only be an expert if you have contributed to a project. We currently don't necessarily limit by the number of contributions, but that's consistently under review. And at the moment, we're pretty much reviewing every single expert who comes through the platform to make sure that they are sort of the caliber that we want to provide to our customers. Thankfully, every single one has been so far. What are you doing to push money to the fringes towards people who haven't had the opportunity to be maintainers because they don't know how yet or haven't learned? How do you teach the next generation to become the next generation of Ringer HQ slash maintainers besides the 5%? One of the biggest quandaries that we have is that a lot of the experts on the largest projects or on the highest level within projects don't need any money from outside consultancy. They may have a job with a fan company or they may just not be interested in providing consultancy. And so there is an incentive to some degree for those people who are early in their open source contributions to become involved. There has to be a balance between making sure that somebody is competent and very familiar with the projects that they're providing expertise on. But I think that there exists a natural incentive for those contributors who have perhaps had less contributions to a project to provide more and to become more familiar so that they can provide expert advice and expert consultancy on those projects. Another question I have is around consulting itself. If I'm a maintainer of a project and I do consulting with a fang company or some large fortune 500 company or something, it seems more likely that I'm going to want to influence the project in ways that will help out large enterprise and maybe not help out my users who don't have the capabilities to run racks of servers, et cetera. I mean, whatever sort of use case could come to mind there. How do you try to alleviate the worry that this may not be a real worry? Do you think this, you see where I'm coming from? Like a maintainer, it's, 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 it's a project towards large things. 
So it's been discussed. We've discussed this with sort of the large Apache projects where they are very clear about the fact that a customer cannot influence the direction of the project. Now there's governance in place because it's an Apache project. Smaller projects where there isn't necessarily a governance model. And I know that it's been discussed at some length how you start implementing governance or how you sort of put together your very first, not even a code of conduct. I think it's always described as a constitution. How you first put together your constitution will be the decider of whether outside consultancy does influence the project. Now, one of the counterpoints to that, I think, is that if large organizations are using the project, then naturally they will influence the project. I listened to your recent podcast with Nicholas on ES Lint, and that's a project that was born of a large company. It serves large companies' goals, but is usable by me and me might be me and two other engineers who are just trying to do things the right way. I don't necessarily think that the incentives are misaligned to have a project that serves large enterprise. I do think that sometimes it will make a small project needlessly complex, but that's definitely an opinion rather than something that is written in stone. And for me, if a large company is using an open source project, then it's probably a good thing that they are finding a way to funnel money back to the people who are creating it. You talk about governance strategies. Have you worked with any projects that have wanted to turn themselves into co-ops where there's sort of a rotating model of who actually works for Ringer and how that money gets spent? I haven't worked with any projects that are looking at becoming co-ops. We do have a couple of projects now that have made the decision internally that Ringer will be their consultancy platform. So I'll highlight Filament, which describes themselves as the elegant toolkit for Laravel artisans. So it's an admin panel and various other tools for use with Laravel. They've now changed their consulting link on their website to point directly at the Ringer page for the project. So I do see discussions happening within projects where they're saying, okay, guys, if you want to provide consulting, go and sign up on this platform and you'll be able to earn. I think that that's really exciting for me. It's something that I'm very, very happy to see. And enabling contributors and maintainers across projects to earn is what Rear is all about. So for me, that is just brilliant to see four, five, six people from one single project providing specific expertise. One of the other sides to that is that different people within projects have different expertise and making sure that they can provide a way to explain exactly what they can help with is really important. One of the things that we've seen with Electron, the cross-platform app builder, is the specific people within the project have said, this is what I know, this is what I'm good at. And somebody else has said, and I know this other thing, and this is what I'm good at within that. That means that when a customer goes on there and they're specifically looking to solve a problem of a type, they can find the right person rather than just clicking the cheapest or the number one link. What's your recruitment process like? I've talked to thousands, I would like to say thousands, but probably just under a thousand maintainers throughout the years, throughout the 10 years I've been in the game. What's your recruitment process? Is it just you and reaching out? Is it a team? Just want to know your process. So at the moment, it's just me reaching out. I'll send an email or I'll send somebody a tweet or a DM and say, look, we've had people searching for this specific project. 
whenever we log a search for a project that we don't have experts for. But initially it was just solving my own, own problems and talking to my friends and the community that I've previously built and saying, look, this is what I built. What do you guys think? And that's how we got our first users. One of the best things about working with the open source community is that it is one of the most collaborative and kind places that I've potentially ever worked. Yes, I understand that there are sometimes times when that's not true. But my experience so far in terms of having people share Ringer internally or via Discord has been fantastic. It seems that a lot of people have come back to my emails and said, this is an incredibly useful idea. I think that this is something that is needed within the ecosystem. And even if they're not able to sign up because they work at a large company, being willing to share that via on LinkedIn, Twitter, or internally, is something that I'm incredibly grateful for. Now, as an aside to that, if you've ever tried to collect feedback from corporate users on a platform, it is quite a testing experience where bugs are described in relatively ethereal terms. If you've collected feedback from the open source community, you receive screenshots and reproduction steps and very, very detailed ways to go and fix your problems. Well, 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 well. if you're lucky. I, mean, <laughs> I, I have I, been lucky. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, I've been in the game for like 10 years. I've seen very, very nasty requests, but you're right. If you get lucky, you get really awesome like gifts showing you like screencasts, like, hey, this is what's going on. So no, I totally get it. I just want to make a little left turn. Now on your site, which is pretty cool. It reminds me, like when you choose an expert like M Summit, the book now with the price at top, why does that look so familiar? I'm not saying you're stealing it. No, you are stealing it. You're making it your own. You're not copying it. You're making stealing it. But is it like some like expert thing or I don't know. It just looks really cool. Like what I'm trying to get at is this isn't a one page K. Email me if you want some help from... Next.js or whatever project, it's like a service. It looks like a real service. What gave that kind of inspiration? I was incredibly keen not to just provide the minimum that I possibly could when we first rolled it out. One of my favorite parts of working within the web and building software for the web is that we can incrementally improve every single day. And I'm a great believer in incremental improvement in all areas. So we've been gently improving every single component, every single page since we started in August. The goal of providing something that felt professional, felt like something that a large enterprise could use, has always been sort of top of mind to make sure that we were doing the best that we could. I'm very mindful of the fact that we're taking 10% or 15, if you include what we give to the repositories of a fee that somebody's charging, I need to make sure that I do everything that I possibly can to prove that I am earning that 10%. And with Ringer, our goal is very much to make sure that you feel like you are receiving a very high level of service beyond just the ability to put payments through or have your name on a website. We talked about I'm providing services. It's like a 501c6. I know Open Collective does this, right? You're solving a different need. But I'm thinking about the fact that you're basically building a pool of consultants, which to me reminds me of Uber drivers or something, right? What are you doing to make sure that, say, they have a labor union or they all have health insurance or they all don't have to deal with these other things that every consultant has to deal with? How are you making their lives more sustainable besides giving them a large paycheck? I don't actually have an answer for that. <laughs> well, wait a minute. First of all, let me just butt in here. 
it's not like Uber because they get to choose their own rate, right? I mean, that's one big differentiator. That is a big difference. Thank you. And I'm sorry for asking this question. I think it's really important that I ask it though. And the reason I think it's important is because you are doing an amazing service. You're allowing maintainers of projects who have expertise to have access to talent or access to pools of money that wants their talent. And that's hard. That's a hard thing to do right now. Everyone has to do this ad hoc. I've done it. It's not fun. I had to do it by having privilege already in the communities I was in. Because I was leading a node school, I got to know some people. Because I was charismatic and outgoing, I got to know some more people who got me in to talk to their VPs, who got me a large contract that paid off one of my student loans. That was very tough work, which I only got because I'm a white, educated male who was able to do that effectively in the like corporate environment in America. So I totally see the value of what you're doing. What I'm worried about is the short-term implication or the long-term implications of short-term helping out people who look like me. I'm trying to figure out how do we help out all of us together? And so how do we pool resources to make that happen? Obviously, I'm sitting in a really comfy armchair because I work for a 501c6 that does this sort of work. But Open Collective doesn't necessarily deal with these sorts of numbers and doesn't deal with these numbers particularly well. We do provide services. We provide employment, health insurance, whatever. What we don't do is have tons and tons of people going through and talking to Ospos through our platform. What we have is you can set up a page and make it work. And so you're providing that extra level of value. And I see that in those 15% you're taking. Like that sounds totally justifiable to me. In fact, it's only 10% because you're giving 5% back. So that's amazing. So I want to couch all that with those words. What I'm curious about is what is your long-term plan? Right now you're doing a lot of work. Simon, it sounds like you're the one out there talking to every maintainer, finding projects that need help, figuring out how to get in contact with them, figuring out how to get their banking details so you can get them. That's like a huge amount of effort that I'm seeing. And so what I'm curious about is when you scale up your team and as you scale up your team, what services will you provide to the consultants that you're enabling? Because it seems to me like that's what you're doing. You're building a pool of consultants who then don't talk to each other. But this is open source. We're all about community, baby. I regret saying that. Why did I say that? But do you see, do you see the question that I have? I, I absolutely do. And I'll go back about 10 years or so, but it may well be less because I think I put it onto product hunt at the time. I used to deal with consultants or contractors a lot, freelancers, and I became quite frustrated at the rates that I was being provided because they were incredibly low. And so I set up a website, which is now defunct, I think, but I'm sure we can find it on product hunt called whatismydayrate.com. And the idea of what is my day rate was that you would put in what you wanted to earn. So $120,000 a year, say something like that. And it would spit out a day rate, but it was a narrative-based calculator. So one of the things that it said was, you will probably be sick for this many days. You will now need to pay insurance and the insurance will likely cost you this much. You won't get any days off, so you need to account for that. And so instead of just saying 120,000 divided by 365 days or whatever it was, it said, this is what you actually need to do to earn the equivalent of this salary. I take that as my starting point, educating consultants and freelancers on how you go about setting yourself up to be successful when you are a consultant. I think that there's a huge education piece for me. When I see some of the prices on Ringer, I see an incredible range. I think we've got one expert who is charging and believe me with the project they have, they can afford or they can definitely charge for this much. They have an hourly rate of $1,200. 
Then we also have a number of maintainers who have put their rates to $12. This isn't a race to the bottom pricing platform. And I don't want to see that. What I need to provide is more education on the basis of you have knowledge that large companies or small companies, because it's certainly not just the large companies who use this, value highly. When we had, and I tell the story on the about page of our website, when we had an agrotech startup years ago, we spoke to one maintainer for an hour, and I think that we've probably saved $10,000 of work. That's the value of that advice. That is the value of the insight that could be provided. And that was only after we'd wasted days and days of work trying to get something to work. So I think that for me, there is a huge education piece in making sure that people are taking the right route and making the right choices. And I say right quite loosely because everybody is different. And I fully understand that for a contributor in the Philippines, there are different needs to consider compared to somebody who is based in New York City. I think that we can do as much as we can on the education piece, but we aren't looking to get into the Safe World Open Collective in providing insurance and the various other services just because it's not our world at the moment. It might be in the future, but not today and certainly not in the next six to 12 months. That's okay. It's just this is also sustained OSS, right? So I'm interested in like yeah, of course. long-term yeah. implications. Interesting. So you provide educational services. Is that all from you? Do you have a list of docs once you join where you can see how to think about your day rate now? Have you taken all those previous stuff that you had on whatismydayrate.com and are you giving that out to the consultants that you're working with saying you should charge this much? Or do you help handhold them in those meetings with, say, large OSPOs that are interested in their work? The goal is to start providing that within the next three months or so. It's certainly something where we're listening to users and I spend sort of 20 to 30% of my time every week having conversations with both customers and with the actual experts themselves to understand what we can do for them. I've learned over the years that you are best off being led by what the customer or the service provider tells you, not necessarily because they are always right, but because you can see common themes and because you can understand common problems that they all have. If we can help solve their problems, then hopefully that makes the entire ecosystem more fluid, more breathable, and ringer, but becomes an important part of that. So I have another question, which is keeps popping up in my head, which is you've talked to Nicholas Zekas, or you've heard the podcast. We had him on a few weeks ago as well. Go listen to that if you haven't. So it'll be in the show notes. Nicholas always talks about charismatic projects floating to the top. And that happens, right? Projects which are more likely to be high up in the stack, which are more likely to be used by developers at companies, as opposed to the dependencies of those projects, which they actually rely on, which are the sin qua non of open source, right? That means without which not. If you don't have hundreds of other small projects and you don't have the project that's really cool, like Electron or Laravel or Filament, what are you doing to help out the ecosystem at large and those projects which will never have a foot in the door because they're unseen by the large companies that would like to pay money to maintainers to fix their dependencies. How are you making sure that that money goes back down? And this doesn't include the 5%, which I love. And giving back to projects with the 5% is great. But I want to know, how is that informing your thinking and your strategy in the long term, if you have an answer for that? One of the tools that we're building at the moment is not dissimilar to backyourstack.com. So we are building a tool that you can plug in your requirements or your composer or whatever your dependency list is within package.json. And it will go through those requirements all the way to the bottom and find where we have gaps. 
in terms of whether experts or no experts. So hopefully what we'll be able to do is allow you to just plug in a project and it will come up with the list of experts that you can consult with for that project. We do that all the way down the chain at the moment, which is sometimes quite tough, but it's incredibly interesting to see how many times a small specific project will exist in the dependencies over and over and over again as it's used so widely, but not necessarily well known. I think that the XKCD comic about the single dependency maintained Two, by- three, four, seven. I have it tattooed on my... <laughs> he actually does have a tattoo. <laughs> so I never forget. Every day I look at it, I have to. But it's a brilliant example. A single project maintained by a guy from Nebraska is... The Nebraskan. The Nebraskan is sort of the thing that we want to help solve. So for me, that is something that, A, we're hopefully going to be able to track more data and see where there are small projects that just don't ever get a look in. And B, sort of make sure that those users are highlighted. Now, sometimes these are projects that we consider complete because they are relatively simple. They don't receive constant updates. How do you give back to those creators who created a project that is everywhere and yet doesn't necessarily need constant maintenance or sponsorship? I don't know. That is a problem that I think that we all need to look at solving within the open source ecosystem. I have been talking to someone who created thanks.dev it's sort of like back your stack. And basically what it does is it was actually like kind of created for Sentry because Sentry has this big problem where they want to support all of the dependencies, but you know, doing it manually or writing their own thing is just not efficient. And so this blanket on his name, do you know, remember his name? No, Richard? I'm pissed off right now though. I know. And I, I can't find the team. Like, stop doing this people. Like, show me who you yeah, are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. I, I, Sorry. God. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed this no, morning. No, no, yeah. Please don't kill me. Thanks, Dev. So what they do is they basically say, how much do you want to spend? And we'll basically calculate how much each dependency should get. Ali Nezat. Yeah, Ali. Thank you. N-E-H-Z-A-T-A on Twitter. I'm so sorry, Ali. My bad. For an excuse, it is very early in the morning. I'm on the West Coast. So, but besides that, we're actually, Sourcecraft's a launch partner and we're really looking forward to using it because what it does is you just basically put in the GitHub repo URL and it basically breaks it down what each dependency should get. So yeah, looking forward to using that. Also, it's in the why section of their docs. Sorry, I should have read the why section earlier. Thank you, Ali, for explaining who you are and why you founded this. Simon? You rock, Ali. I think that's sort of the cool thing about the conversations that are happening here. The cool thing about how sustainability and open source is being approached by sites like thanks.dev. We're starting to understand that we need to feed every single part of the chain because you can't just feed those charismatic projects and you can't just look after the top 1%, you have to ensure that everybody else is seen to and cared for. So I think that one of the things that I would like to do, and this is a much longer term thing with Ringer, is make sure that once we are in a position to start passing on the benefits that we're seeing certain contributors or experts receive, we can start sending that money back down the chain as well. Yeah. This stuff is really hard. And like I said, you're already yeah. doing amazing work by providing access to a market that most people don't have access to. And access to markets is what leads to better livelihoods for a majority of people. That's like economics, I think. I never took economics 101, <laughs> but I assume that's what I would have learned. So 
Actually, I should probably do that. Note to self, take an economics <laughs> class. For now, we do have to wrap up. It is getting pretty late. And Simon, we've definitely put you through the ringer on this episode. Ah, I've been waiting all day for that one. I do want to know. Oh, that was great. Actually, why is it called ringer? Yeah. For me, a ringer is a suitcase you throw out in the Big Lebowski. Like, what do you mean by ringer? So we used to call it bringing in a ringer. So I guess it's the sports term when you need someone to shoot a three, you bring in guy who always shoots a three. And that's why we went with the name. I have since been told that it has various other meanings, which I will leave Google to explain. <laughs> I will not Google that. RiggerHQ.com for those of you who would like to see what is up and where to go. Simon, where can people follow you and your work on the web besides that? I am at Simon Minton on Twitter. That is probably the best place to find me for Eddie and all things. Excellent. Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N. Simon, this has been excellent, but don't leave yet. Even though we are wrapping up the show, I want to move on to Spotlight. Spotlight is the part of the show where we talk about other projects and people and things who have given us help in the world, who we love or who we feel just need a little bit of light shed on them. So, Justin, what is your spotlight today? Speaking of maintainers, I got to work with one who works on NextAuthJS, Thang Vu, and really, really, really great person. And yeah, so NextAuth.js, you can see how it works in the link in the show notes. Excellent. Thank you so much. I think I've already talked about Eke Romane being the best Latin book, even though Simon has the Oxford Latin book on his shelf, which we talked about before we started recording. So today I'm just going to talk about WikiQuote. WikiQuote is part of the larger Wikipedia type thing, but it's for awesome quotes. And if you want some really good quotes, you can go look at the works of Seneca. And if you're interested in the works of Seneca, you should definitely read the quote that says, don't listen to other people's quotes, write your own damn words. Sorry, probably shouldn't have sworn there, but it's really interesting to me that Seneca, one of the most influential writers of all time, said you shouldn't read other people's quotes out of context and you shouldn't read quotes at all. I did that all the time on WikiQuote, which has actually been a really useful tool for me in the past. So thank you, WikiQuote, for existing and Wikimedia for funding it. Simon, what is yours? I'd like to mention Spacey. So github.com forward slash Spacey and specifically Freak Bandit Herson. The team at Spacey provide incredible Laravel packages that seem to solve just about any problem that you can think of. We develop in Laravel and PHP here at Ringer. I am always thankful for teams, web developers or consultants themselves who build packages and open source them. Every single project is of high quality and I just, yeah, owe my thanks to them a great deal of the time. Awesome. Thank you so much. Simon, it has been great to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you for building this awesome platform. Sounds like you're already doing a good amount of work considering you only launched recently. So I wish you the best in the future. Anyone here working at Ospos and you really want to work with a maintainer, do get in touch with Simon. Apparently you can do that on Twitter. Probably also email from rigorhq.com. Normal stuff goes normal places. That having been said, if you enjoyed this conversation, oh, listeners, we also like hearing from you. So please do reach out at SustainOSS on Twitter, at discourse.sustainoss.org online. Or you can email us at podcast at sustainoss.org. That will go to all of the hosts. If you would like to be on the podcast, we know someone else who'd like to be on the podcast. We've been trying to get Allie on the podcast for like a year. So Allie, if you're listening, maybe you'd be great to get on the podcast. Do get in touch. At the same time, if you really like this on like Spotify or iTunes or whatever, you can also like it. Apparently that helps with our things, but also 
probably spend your time doing other things and liking random podcasts. Maybe I'm going to go for a walk and listen to another one. I'm going to stop talking because I'm starting to ramble. So Simon, thank you so much again. This is thank you, great. Simon. Best of luck. Thank you very much.